Okay, if you open your Bibles to Luke 11. I want us to look tonight at this parable of the strong man. I'm going to read in a moment from verses 21 to 26 and then we'll pray. So Luke 11 from verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house or palace, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, He takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through the waterless places, seeking rest and not finding any, it says... I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Okay, so this parable here is not difficult to interpret, I don't think. The strong man here, of which verse 21 says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house or palace, his possessions are undisturbed, the strong man here is is Satan, the devil himself, or one of his demons. You see, brethren, the heart of man was intended to be the dwelling place of God. You are created to be a a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. You are meant to be a place where the King of glory, the King of love, the word of truth can take up residence and take delight in and dwell with you. But here in verse 21 of this parable, Jesus gives us a picture of the lost man. You see, due to the fall of mankind, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and sinned against him in the garden, and all we like sheep have have gone astray, each one, every one of us, had turned his own way, living for self. And so, now, left to him or herself, men, women, and children went on a pursuit to run away from God, to suppress the knowledge of God. People may have an outward show of religion, but the unconverted person will always say of Jesus Christ, I will not have this man reign over me. And so the heart of every lost person, which is meant for God, is now the throne of Beelzebub. The lost man's heart, our Lord says here, is a dwelling place, it is a house or even a palace of Satan and his demons. Ephesians says, Ephesians 2, in which you formerly walked. Before your conversion, those of you who are converted, according to the course 
of this world according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, the unsaved. Now the stronger man in this parable, whom verse 22 says, but when someone stronger than he, when someone stronger than the strong man, when someone stronger than Satan attacks and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. The stronger man here is obviously Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see, here in this parable is, at the start of it, is what happens at the conversion of someone. This is what happens when Christ overpowers the dominion of darkness. And he plunders Satan's gods and wins souls for himself. Scripture says the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And so we can see in verse 21 here, we have the lost man, who is the dwelling place of Satan. And then in verse 22, we have the saved man. And what happens at conversion when the love of Christ conquers and then reigns upon the throne of that person's heart. The ESV Translation actually renders verse 21, I think, better. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace. You see, lost people here are described as a palace of Satan because a palace is where a king lives. Because they are where Satan reigns. Listen, if you are without Christ, then the devil is king over your life. If you have not fully submitted your life to Christ, then you are where the devil is reigning. You know, you, you maybe think you're living independently. You maybe think, I'm not that bad. I mean, I was brought up in, a, in the church. I'm, I'm pretty good morally. Just because I don't fully submit my life to Christ doesn't mean I'm the dwelling place of Satan and that I'm living under his rule. But oh yes, it does. Look with me at verse 23. We see here quite plainly that there is no middle ground regarding Jesus Christ. Regarding whether Christ is your king or whether Satan is your king. There's no fence to sit on. Jesus says in verse 23, He who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters. So there's no half a Christian. There's no three quarters of a Christian. There's no almost a Christian. There's no continuously so-called carnal Christian who has Jesus as their Savior but not as their Lord. You are either in the kingdom of darkness or you are in the kingdom of light. You are either saved or you're not. So what about you? Are you with Christ or are you against him? Think with me about the terminology being used here. If, if someone says something that is agreeable to you, you may say, I'm right there with you on that. Do you say that here? Yeah. Well, what about the Lord Jesus Christ having ruling authority over every area of your life? Are you with him on that? What about 
his claim that you must love him supremely over everything else in life. Are you with him on that or are you against him? What about his claim that your time is really his time, your money and your possessions are really his money and his possessions, your life is now his life, As Stephen Lawson once put it, you are to transfer the ownership of everything you are and everything you have to all that he is. Are you right there with him on that? Or are you against him? Let me give you another Bible verse which communicates this truth. That you are either on the Lord's side or the devil's side. Romans 6.16, you don't have to turn there, but listen to me read it. It says, do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. You either present yourself to God in obedience or present yourself to Satan in disobedience to God. What I want you to glean from that verse is that if you're not willingly submitting yourself to Christ, then it's it's not because you're neutral, but because you willingly submit yourself to the wicked one. I want you to see the evil here of not fully trusting Christ. It's easy to, you know, to think I'm not a murderer. I'm quite moral. But do you realize those who hear the truth and reject it will be judged more severely than those who never hear it at all, despite how many murders they've committed? You see, what you're doing here, if that's you, is you're making a a deal with the devil to try and hold on to some area of your life. To quote the Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs, who said, Before the soul can actually apply Jesus Christ to itself, it must come to know the evil of sin and the excellence of Jesus Christ. And so, in verse 21 here, we see a lost person. Verse 22, we see a a saved person and what happens at conversion. And in verse 23, we're told here that there is no middle ground. And then in verses 24 to 26, we have this picture of the the false convert, a picture of what happens in their life. And as we'll see, that they may for a while have some outward fruits of Christianity. They may have a changed life, but they are not a new creature. And some, some of these who eventually fall away become some of Satan's chief agents. And so... After giving that overview, let us look first at verse 21. And the state of a lost man where Satan reigns. It says, Jesus says, when a strong man. Now don't miss this, brethren. Our Lord here, he does not say, when a weakling. You see, if all the saints of God who ever lived were to fight this man in their own combined strength, then he would overpower us all. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work as woe, his craft and power are great, armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. 
And notice this strong man, Jesus said, is fully armed as he guards his own house. So let's look at, let's consider some of the things he's armed with. Let's consider how Satan, he keeps the lost man for his own dominion. If you're lost here this evening, if you're lost listening to this, how is Satan keeping hold of you? Well, he's, he's armed, first of all, with various lies. The devil himself being the father of lies. If you keep your finger in, uh, there in Luke 11, go to Genesis 3. This is a good place to go to, to see some of the lies of the wicked one, some of his armor. Verse 1, now the serpent, that serpent of old, the devil, Revelation tells us, was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? He's very crafty. Now notice in his very question here, he is insinuating, why hold back that one tree? Satan, he whispers into people's ears. If you obey God, then you're going to miss out on something. So one of the lies Satan is armed with is to tempt you to doubt the goodness of God. It is to tempt you to doubt that God knows best for you. Jesus told in some other parables about a lost person having wrong thoughts about God. The lost person thinking of God as a hard taskmaster. You see, how we believe affects how we live. The lost person will never be persuaded. If you're lost, you'll never be persuaded to hang your sins upon the cross when you believe the lie. The lie of Satan that you would be better off without Christ. That you would be better off without God. But what about you? If you won't fully surrender to God, then it's because you're believing a lie. A lie of Satan. That Satan is better off on the throne of your heart than God. And look at Eve's response in Genesis 3 verse 2. And, and the woman said to the serpent... From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And then we see Satan respond with another lie that he's armed with by saying, you surely will not die. That is one of the chief lies that Satan is armed with. That you can carry on rebelling against God and there will be no consequences. I know God says that, you know, those who practice such sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. But he surely doesn't mean that. I mean, I, 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 I've given up so much already. Or oh, one of the lies Satan is armed with is to whisper in your ear, you will not surely die. You won't face the consequences. You've got more time. Relax. Enjoy your sin. Get serious about God later in life. Satan will 
always whispering your ear that you've got more time to get right with God. That there's no urgency is one of his lies. But the truth is that at any moment, the deceived person may hear those words, thou fool, this night your life is required of you. And look here in Genesis 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she's agreeing with Satan at this point. It says she took from it the fruit and ate. Satan didn't grab a hand and force her to the tree and... No, he convinces with his lies. And then she did it of her own free will. That's the way he always operates. He convinces you to believe him over God, and then you act accordingly. Sin, we're told, is a deceiver. It deceives you into thinking you're better off disobeying God. You see, this is what it really does come down to. Will you believe God's word or will you believe Satan's word or his lies? Will you believe the truth of God or the lies of the evil one? That's what it boils down to. And another lie. Look at verse 5 there. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. That was a lie. Their eyes weren't open, they were closed. Man is in darkness without God. The other lie that Satan blinds people with, that he's armed with, is pride. The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. How does he blind people? With pride. He blinds them from seeing how glorious Christ is by whispering into their ear how good they are and how this world would be a better off place if everyone was like them. You see, someone can believe the cross intellectually as a historical fact. But until someone understands their sin, understands they're a sinner, then it doesn't mean anything to them. It bears no reality. It means little. Another lie that Satan may is armed with, that he may whisper into the sinner's ears, is the pride of life. He says there, you will be like God. He tells people you need more ambition. You need to seek your career above Christ. He persuades people to put family above Christ. Or your own life. Or your own comforts. Another lie he's armed with is to twist scripture. He did this when he came to tempt Jesus. We, we have a problem in our church. This is common with some uh, where they come from 
African families, especially with over-domineering parents, they twist scripture. They, they say to them, look, the Bible says, honor your father and mother. But they, they don't say that. They say, the Bible says, obey your parents even when you're 25. And he, he generally, they, they, Satan, when he twists that one, he generally misses off the in the Lord part. Another lie of Satan is the lust of the eyes he's armed with and, the, and, the, and of the flesh. Notice even back in Genesis there, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, he uses the, the natural senses, which can be used for good to deceive people. So he deceives people into looking at uh, images of people and, and stirs up lust. Has people in his grip. And maybe, you can go back to Luke 11. But another lie Satan is armed with. And maybe he's, he's whispering this lie into some people here. Maybe the devil's saying to you, you're too young to be saved. You've got to wait until a few years older. Or maybe the, think about Timothy. Who, he, he knew the scripture wise from his youth. The scripture made him wise, I should say. Or, or maybe the tempter is whispering to some of you, you're too old to be saved, it's too late. Or perhaps he is saying to some of you, another lie he's armed with, you're too sinful to be forgiven by God. After all, after all you've done, God's not going to want you. But, but listen to me now. Your sinfulness... Your backwardness in coming to Christ even. You, 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 your sinfulness does not make you not fit to be saved. But the fact that you are a sinner is what fits you to be saved. Just like it is your sickness that fits you to go to a doctor. It is your hunger that fits you to eat. The, the devil will tell you that you're not righteous enough. But listen, Jesus did not come to call the righteous. He came to call people just like you. He came to, the well don't need a doctor. He came to call the spiritually sick. He, he came to call the sinner to repentance. And so repent of believing the devil's lies and turn to Christ now. And of course, another lie that Satan is armed with is he tells people, don't look to Christ. Look for a feeling. Wait for a feeling. Put your trust in a feeling. A feeling won't save you, but Christ will. Another lie Satan is armed with is he tells the sinner to look at yourself. That's his favorite one. He'll tell you, to try and repent and believe on Christ in your own strength. He tells you that Christ won't have anything to do with you until you bridge that first gap. Listen, in order to be saved, you must look away from self. So why, 
you can't save yourself, so why look there at all? Only Christ can save you, so look to him. Now, look at verse, the next part of verse 21 with me. Not only is the strong man fully armed, but it says he guards his own house or palace. He patrols it. He keeps 24-hour watch over his people. While the bridegroom was delaying, they, the Christians, all got drowsy and began to sleep. But the wicked one, he never sleeps nor slumbers. He is ever at work in the sons of disobedience. And one of the way he keeps guard of his own house, of his own people, is by a seared conscience, a hard heart. And so when the word of God is sown, it lands by the wayside, Jesus said. On that hard ground, so it can't take root. You know, sometimes people hear a sermon, and maybe there's a little discomfort, maybe there's a little conviction, and they're gnashing the teeth against the God they hate. Or maybe they're thinking, I've, I've got to get right with God. But then soon the birds in the air come and take it away. Maybe they're convicted. But straight after the meeting, instead of doing business with God, they start talking about something trivial. And be careful, by the way, believers, when you see someone under conviction, to not to take it away. It's easy to do that, to want to bring comfort to them, but... Another way Satan works hard to keep his house, another lie he has is the lies of false religion. Maybe even forms of Christianity. And so that keeps their conscience at ease to think, well, I'm already a Christian. Just because I'm not as serious as those other Christians. You know, Jesus said he'll spew the lukewarm out of his mouth. Another lie of Satan that he's armed with, that he tries to keep his souls with, is he tries to isolate. Like Peter, he tries to sift them as wheat and separate the sheep from, from Jesus' flock. He tells people, you don't need church. You need to give your church meetings a break. You know, just forsake the assembling of yourselves together for a while, he tells you. And so Satan, he works hard deceiving his servants that they're better off without God. And he will try to, he will try to incapacitate believers with the same lies if you let him. Now, look with me at the last part of verse 21. It says... His possessions are undisturbed. There is a time in the lost person's heart when their conscience is undisturbed. And they are happy to go on in sin without God. And it never bothers them. Enwrapped in thick Egyptian night and fond of darkness more than light, madly I ran the sinful race secure without a hiding place. You see... Until the kingdom of God comes upon you, until God starts a work, then there is, there is no battle. 
The unbeliever in that time willfully obeys their master and they present their members to him to serve him. Now, now, Satan in that time of, you know, he, he does fight against people going to a true church where the gospel is preached and where reality is in people's lives. You know, he'll give, Satan will give people 101 excuses, 101 reasons why not to go to a true church. But, but, but he doesn't mind people going to places where a watered-down gospel is preached. Places that are full of hypocrisy. You know, in fact, he'll, he'll happily hold your hand and take you to one of those places. Verse 22. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Saboth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Brethren, this is what happens at conversion. A man is not strong enough to save himself from the dominion of Satan. He doesn't even want to be saved. He's happy going on, or she's happy going on in her sin, and trying to suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness, but thus the eternal counsel ran. Almighty love, arrest that man. I felt the arrows of distress, and I found I had no hiding place. And there, there may be a battle. When that kicks in, there may be a battle for a while. And Satan, in order to try and keep his possessions, he may tell them, at first he sends them to Sinai's fiery mount to try and be justified by law-keeping. Just clean up your life. When Pilgrim headed to Mr. Legality. And the fight can last days or weeks. Or even in Spurgeon's case, was it five months or even five years or something being under conviction? But listen, once the stronger man attacks, he must win the battle. There's only going to be one victor. He is mighty to save because when someone stronger than he attacks him, he overpowers him. Now, let's ask this though. Why do... Some people, under conviction, take longer than others to come to Christ. Perhaps, I think, because of unbelief. I mean, does not Scripture say? And he did not do many miracles there because of the unbelief. So, sinner, you cannot save yourself. You must believe Christ. Christ alone must save you. And so believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's what it says. Believe it. Put all your hope in him. Build your hope on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Now, now look at the rest of verse 22. Our Lord says, He takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. When Christ saves you, he takes away everything that you previously relied on. 
That's, he takes away everything Satan gave you to rely upon. He strips you of your self-righteousness. He strips you of any hope of saving yourself. And so you cast your weary soul on him. He strips things out of your life that are idols in the way of coming to God. He strips you of other things you're finding pleasure and comfort in. He strips you of the wisdom of man, of vain philosophy. Everything Satan had previously armed you with to fight against God, the king of kings came to conquer and take away. And so, if you are lost, if you doubt even, then just flee to Christ. Don't hope in yourself. You're not strong enough. Put all your faith in him who is stronger. You must come by the blood. Don't try to come by your own works or by working up tears or by feelings. Don't try to come by moral reformation. Don't try to come by bridging that first step of the gap. You know, I've got to do my little step and then Christ will save me. No. Take your eyes off self, put them on Christ who is ready and waiting to save you. He who comes in another way is the same as a, a thief and a robber. So, so come by the blood, enter by the door. Into. Now, a word on for the Christians on spiritual warfare here. You know, imagine if you saw a boxer and he told you, he said, he was complaining, he says, and you said, asked him, what's the matter? And he says, well, he says, you know, when I'm fighting, when I'm nimble on my toes and I've got my guard up, you know, I'm doing well. But then when I just put my, my arms down and stand there, I keep getting punched. Well, is that not what we Christians do when we let our guard down? When we stop taking advantage of those graces God has given us, of his word and prayer and so forth, trust everything he's given us. We let our guard down and we're going to get punched. You know, we must realize this life is a warfare. You didn't get saved by overcoming the strong man yourself. And you can't persevere to the end by overcoming the strong man yourself. It's by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body. You must be active in your sanctification with God. And also, you know this verse here. He who is not with me is against mean he who does not gather scattered let me just say a brief word on gossip here can you imagine in a battle where a soldier is on one side but every now and again he turns around and takes a shot at his own soldiers you know that's what gossip does the tongue can be destructive that is what the believer does if they start gossiping about their own brethren. You must remember that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. 
Unbelievers are not your enemy. Other Christians are certainly not your enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so you must realize that you're in a battle, Christian. You're in a war. And so have it resolved whose side you're on. Don't be ignorant of the devil's schemes. You're to be a soldier for Christ. So don't shoot at your own soldiers. Now verse 23 says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scattered. And we've looked at this some, but, you know, I, I only learned the other night that when we have, a, when we have Chinese food in the, in the West, it's not real Chinese food. It's a Western version of it. It's, it's more... They've made it more palatable. Well, they've done the same thing with westernized Christianity. You see, that's another lie the devil is armed with that you don't have to take up your cross. He'll tell you, have an easy life. Don't be too... He'll tell you, don't be too serious in your Christianity. You're far too sold out for Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? You know... People don't normally tell people they're, so, they're far too sold out for a soccer team or a, some sports team or some music group or for a career. The world applauds that. But how much more is important is your eternity? Those things will all perish. J.C. Rowell said of this verse, a wonderful quote, the principle laid down in these wor- words should be constantly remembered by all who make any profession of decided religion. We all naturally love an easy Christianity. Our flesh loves an easy life. We dislike collisions and separation. We like, if possible, to keep in with both sides. We fear extremes. We dread being righteous over much. We are anxious not to go too far. Such thoughts as these are full of peril to the soul. Once allowed to get the upper hand, they may do us immense harm. Nothing is so offensive to Christ as lukewarmness in religion. To be utterly dead and ignorant is to be an object of pity as well as blame. But to know the truth and yet halt between two opinions is one of the chief of sins. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Now, in the last part here from verse 24, we now look at what happens to the false convert. By false convert, I mean someone who makes a profession but was never saved in the first place. Verse 24 reads, When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and not finding any, it says... I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the place swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Now, the first thing I want you to notice here, verse 24 says, when the unclean spirit goes out of the man. Now, what I want you to notice here, there's no, in, there's no mention of a fight in this instance. The unclean spirit just leaves him 
he just went out of the man. And notice when he says, it, I mean, this is like the person, the rocky ground hearer, believes with joy for a while, likes the idea of having his sins forgiven. Who doesn't? And notice when it says it passes through the waterless places, seeking rest and not finding any. It then says, I will return to my house, my house from which I came. This guy still belongs to Satan. So what's happened here? Maybe he or she was under a a little conviction from the preaching of the word. Maybe they notice the lives of other Christians around them. And verse 25 says, and when it, it comes, the unclean spirit comes back. It finds it swept and put in order. So there is some change in this person. He has a changed life, but he does not, he does not have a new heart. There has been some moral reformation. Maybe he's given up a few sins, but there is no regeneration. They are not truly born again. They've not become a new creature. There's no supernatural work of God here. It's just the work of the flesh. And so the devil was glad to let them have it. He wants to make these people feel like they've tried Christianity, but there's no power in it. The unclean spirit just went out of this man of his own accord. Like the rocky ground hero, who believed for a while but fell away because there was no root in them. There was no deep conviction. You know, coming to, coming to Christ for self, not who he is. There's a wonderful um, article. I hope I haven't already shared this. Uh, I can't remember. Um, a wonderful illustration I heard of what is the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Because godly sorrow leads to life, eternal life. Worldly sorrow leads to death. The illustration was this. If I've offended my wife and I've truly offended her and I need to apologize. Now, if I... If the reason I apologize to my wife and ask for forgiveness is because I've got this burden of guilt and I want to, I don't want to go around feeling guilty all day. Or if I apologize to my wife because, well, I mean, if I don't apologize, if I don't reconcile this relationship, she won't do certain things for me that I want her to do, then that's not loving my wife, is it? That's loving self. But the real reason I should go to my wife and ask for forgiveness is because of who she is. Because I love my wife to reconcile that relationship. Well, in the same way, that's the reason you should go to God. Just because of who he is and what he's done. And so, after a while, the unclean spirit returns to his house And then it is worse. Because this person now thinks they've tried Christianity and there's nothing in it. Look with me at verse 26 at the bitter apostate. 
Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. And let me remind you, brethren, not to harden your hearts. Because an apostate may still hold a profession of Christianity. Those in First John of whom it was said, they went out from us, but they were never really of us, because if they'd have been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us that it might be made manifest that they were never of us. They did not become atheists, but they held on to some false form of Christianity, like the Judaizers who were adding works to salvation. These are, here in this text, are like the people whom Jude spoke of. When he said, these are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast. When they feast with you without fear, curing for themselves, clouds without water, carrying, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruits, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their, uh, their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. There's no going back for them. These are like those in Hebrews who it says that they've tasted the heavenly gift and they've tasted the powers of the world to come. They, they've seen enough of true Christianity and all around them, but now it's impossible for them to come back. What is the application here? Don't toy with backsliding in your own life. Don't toy with half a Christianity. Don't toy with sin. If you're without Christ, then don't toy with waiting longer. Stop hardening your heart. If you find yourself in what appears to be a swept state, but you're falling back, then just flee to Christ. Completely surrender to Him. That promise, come, is still true. That if you'll come to him, he will in no wise cast you out. So entirely submit yourself to God and the devils, all seven of them will flee from you. And you must do it before it's too late. Don't believe that lie, but maybe the, the father of lies is still saying to you, some of you now, don't listen to him. You can stay in your slumber for a little longer. You've got as much time as you like. Your master's delaying his coming. Or the wicked one may be saying to you, you can't do that. You can't fully submit yourself to Christ. Look at you, you're so pathetic. And so he gets you to focus on you. But again, don't look there. Hide yourself in him. Be like the manslayer and flee to that city of refuge who is Christ. He is the only safe place for a hell-deserving sinner. Don't, don't be like Lot's wife and look back. Remember, she's been in hell for thousands of years. Flee to Christ. He'll receive you. Let's pray. Father, I pray you would use this word to awaken souls, to be born again, 
to see the seriousness. And that they would trust in you, rest in you this day, the life. Oh, Father, how glorious you are. What people are missing out on. To believe some lies which lead to misery and emptiness. Enable now by your spirit that they would look upon your wounds. That you died. For their very souls. I pray for the believers in here, each of us, Lord. That we would learn from this text, Lord. To be a soldier for you, a full-time soldier. Keep us from gossip. Keep us from poison tongues. Help us to build one another up. And Lord, may we realize that we fight not against, against flesh and blood. Help us, Lord, to remember not to overcome the, the strong man by our own flesh. But by you, you overcome for us. And help us, Lord, to take heed to this warning not to... Not to stay in any lukewarm state. Not to toy around with anything. But to be fully submitted to you. I pray you'd show us areas, areas of our lives. And that we would cast them onto the altar. That you would bring glory to yourself now, Lord. We ask that you would save. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.